One of the most depressing things that can happen is to get to a point where you have no purpose in life, no meaning, no importance. What is it that gives meaning to life? It's ministry. That's today's topic. And there are two ways to listen to today's podcast. If you're not involved in ministry, let today's program motivate you. If you are serving, let this episode rekindle the fire of passion in your heart as you're reminded of the significance of what you're doing. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Where everyone else looked at Epaphroditus and all they saw was just a guy carrying a bag. Paul looked and saw a kingdom VIP whom we are commanded to hold in high honor and to welcome joyfully and to strive to imitate. And in verse 25, Paul gives us a pair of glasses that we can put on our face to see what he sees when he looks at Epaphroditus. Because when he looks at Epaphroditus, he sees something totally different than what most people see when they look at him. Our natural way of looking at ministry is blurred, it's distorted, it's twisted. What this passage is going to help us do today is see things as they really are. We're going to be able to see reality when it comes to ministry, which is essential for us to have the kind of motivation that we're going to need to carry out what God has called us to carry out in this life. In this verse, Philippians 2.25, Paul uses five words to describe Epaphroditus' ministry that are going to clarify things for us. Brother, worker, soldier, messenger, and minister. Each one of those words is going to clarify our vision a little bit clearer, a little bit clearer, until we can start see ministry like it really is, and that's going to motivate us. So let's take a look at each one of these. First one is brother. That points to the camaraderie of ministry. The second description is fellow worker. Fellow workers are just two people doing the same work together. They're joining forces in the same task. So we can call this second one the cooperation of ministry. Epaphroditus wasn't the type to just say, Oh, Paul, you know, I'll pray for you. Good luck. And then just get on with his life. He didn't do that. So often we do that. It's, it's nice when people pray for you. <laughs> it's really nice when people say, I'll pray for you. And then they roll up their sleeves and they come and they help you. Someone once said the church is like a football game, 22 men desperately in need of rest, being watched by thousands desperately in need of exercise. <laughs> that's, that's the church, right? That's the church. Some of you are the 22 and you're like, amen. And it's significant that Paul would use this word to describe Epaphroditus because, because uh, he just says fellow worker, they're, they're equals. Most people would think of Epaphroditus as doing a different work than Paul. They'd say Paul's doing one work. He's, he's like a, a apostle, church planner, missionary. Epaphroditus running an errand. That's two different works. Paul's, he's given us glasses here that shows us that support roles are every bit as critical and important and as high as the frontline roles. Now, you hear that, and it sounds good, but you just you think, well, okay, but how can that really be? I mean, how can it be true that the work of an errand boy is equal to the work of an apostle? It almost kind of sounds like Paul's just sort of you know, patronizing. He's just trying to, you know, like when you tell a little kid, oh, you're such a good helper, you know, when really he's not helping at all. How can it be true that the work of an errand boy could actually be equal to an apostle? It is true. It is true. And the reason it's true is because this is the body of Christ. 
You know, when somebody does something great, the credit doesn't go to the individual body parts, right? It goes to the person, right? So in the NBA Finals, when people talk about the MVP of the, of the Finals, they don't talk about LeBron James' circulatory system or his rib cage, right? They talk about the person. All the accolades go to the, the person. The church is the body of a person, Christ. Jesus Christ is doing great things in the world. He's the only one doing great things in the world. Amen? Just Christ. He's doing everything. But each one of us is a part of His body. And so when great things happen, if Paul is the mouth and Epaphroditus is like the nervous system, neither one of them is great in and of himself. Not even Paul. You can take the greatest mouth in the world and cut it away from the body and put it on a table and it's useless. It's nothing without connection to the body. What's great is the person, Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ is doing through his body parts. And the greatness of a particular body part then is measured not by which part they are, but by how faithful they are in carrying out their role, whatever that role is. So when we think of preaching and teaching as being a primary role and running errands as more of a support role, that's not quite accurate. Both preaching and errands are support roles. Every ministry is a a role that supports the work of the whole body. In Acts 11, Paul was an errand boy. He did, he, did, he did the exact same thing Epaphroditus is doing, right? He's carrying money from the churches up north down into the church to, in Jerusalem. Spent months of his life just being an errand boy. He wasn't above that. Whatever it takes to advance the work of the gospel in the church. I think it's very instructive to see how dependent Paul was on the rest of the body, even though he's an apostle. You know, we can slip into thinking sometimes about Paul and just imagine him as being sort of this lone ranger who needed no one. He's just on his own. He's traveling the world. Nothing could be further from the truth than that image of Paul. He was not like that. When you see how much, just do a study sometime of Paul's relationships. You see the affection that he had for his dear friends in every one of these churches he writes to especially Philippi, you can see his life was deeply enmeshed with the saints. I just think of his letter to the, uh, to the Romans. In one chapter, he sends warm greetings to more than 30 specific people that he mentions by name, and he says a little personal thing to, to eat about each one of those 30-plus people. That's fascinating to me because he had never been to Rome. He's got 30 dear, close friends in this place where he's never even been Paul had all these relationships. Paul needed the body. He was enmeshed with the body of Christ, especially the people with the gifts of helps and serving. He needed them. He knew that he needed people like Timothy and, and, with, and Epaphroditus. And I hope this is an encouragement. Now, this study has been an encouragement to those of you who have the gift of helps or service. You know, those, it always struck me as, as, as interesting gifts. Because whenever, I've always thought, when I think of someone with the gift of helps, I always think, help, 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 help what? You're gifted at helping with what? Because, you know, I could help you, if you're working on preparing a sermon, I could help you. But if you need help preparing a meal, I'm not your guy, right? <laughs> You'd be better off just take a bunch of ingredients and throw them in a can and shake them up and hope they evolve than have me <laughs> try to help you prepare a meal. So, you know, I hear that. How can somebody have just the gift of helps, you know, in general? You're good at everything? 
You can help anything. Now, I don't think it means you're good at everything. I think what it means is if you have the gift of helps, you're just good at being helpful. Right? You don't know how to fix a car, but you can definitely hand someone a wrench or run an errand to the parts store or hold a flashlight or you just, you just, you like to help. You're good at spotting where help is needed and you like to be able to fill in the, the gaps and you just, you're just good at helping people out. You like being available. People like that are just such an indispensable treasure in the church. Without people like that, you don't have anybody to take the money from Philippi to Rome, right? Because everybody's busy with their passion, and so nobody can take away from that and and, and do this errand. you got to have people like Epaphroditus, who their gift is, I'm just available to just fill in. And and, and it's, it's sad because very often the people with this priceless gift of helps think they don't have a gift. They despair. Every time they hear about someone being really passionate about one area, they despair. Like, man, I'm not passionate about any certain area. But the thing is, God made you that way on purpose because He he didn't want you to get tied up in one area because He wants you to be available to fill in wherever you're needed. He wants people like this to be generalists, not specific in one area. And so people like this tend to have a variety of abilities, a variety of skills. They're not totally tied up in one area. And that makes them so valuable to the church because no ministry, not even Paul's, no ministry, I don't care how passionate and driven and gifted the leader is, no ministry can accomplish anything without these people who have the gift of helps. People with the gift of helps and service are like the hands of the body. They just do it. And, and, and a body with a mouth and no hands is going to get nowhere. It's going to accomplish nothing. Paul understood that, and so he didn't think of Epaphroditus as an inferior or a subordinate. or anything. He was a fellow worker. So we've seen the camaraderie and the cooperation. Now the third one, first my brother, then my fellow worker, then fellow soldier. Okay, now he's stepping it up. Now we're, talk, now, now we're fighting. <laughs> now it's a warfare. Soldier. For Paul, ministry wasn't just hard work. It was also warfare. Fighting. It was constant, incessant conflict, conflict all the time, under attack from in and outside of the church. And not only was he under attack, but there's some things he needed to attack. He's, he had to go against, he had to rebuke some things. He had to, uh, to, to attack false teachers and go on the offensive, correct false doctrine and protect the flock from the wolves. You read 1 Corinthians or Galatians and you, you'll see when, when somebody was threatening the spiritual well-being of a church, Paul would take the gloves off. So being a partner with Paul was not for the timid, it wasn't for the weak. It meant jumping into the mix, right into spiritual warfare with Paul. But that didn't stop Epaphroditus. He was willing to do that. He was a man of courage. man of courage. And that's the third description, the courage of ministry. The camaraderie, the cooperation, and the courage. This is tremendously important for every single person to have courage. Even though we don't live in a culture where people are putting us in prison and there's all this uh, physical persecution, still... In our culture, fear is a very big problem in ministry. Very big. Mostly for us, it's fear of criticism. Fear of failure or criticism. One of those two. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen people refuse to serve in ministry because of fear. It's the only thing holding them back. Fear. Or leaders. I've seen leaders who don't have the courage to do the right thing because they're afraid of conflict. They're just afraid of it. They're afraid of people not liking them. They don't want to do anything that will rock the boat or that might rock the boat, uh, and so they won't take any risks. 
everything they do is calculated to avoid controversy rather than to advance the work of the gospel. And so they're, they're cowards and they never get anything done. Courage is such an important virtue in every ministry. So, so when we see it, family, let's celebrate it. Right? You see someone who's just like, they're not afraid? Let's, let's honor that. Let's honor people like that. Let's, let's, that's worth throwing a party for. All right, so the first three descriptions are uh, what Epaphroditus was to Paul. Now, the next two are a little different. The first three, he says, he's my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. That's what he is to me. Now, here's what he is to you. And there's two more, what he was to the Philippians. First, he says, for you, he's your messenger. Now, this isn't the normal word for messenger. Normal word for messenger is angelos, angel. This word is apostolos. An angelos is somebody sent with a message. An apostolos, apostle, that's someone sent on a mission. He's putting the glasses on their face. He's saying, look, look, look at Epaphroditus as he really is. Think of the significance of the fact that you sent him on an errand. You didn't just send a guy to, send, to carry a bag from point A to point B. You did so much more. This is a full-blown missionary endeavor because it's for the gospel. And so to describe that, he uses a term. He picks out a word and uses it in a very rare way, a, a term that's normally used only for the 12, the highest office any human being has ever held in this world other than Christ. Apostle of Christ. Here, he uses that word, not apostle of Christ, but apostle of the church. But he uses a very exalted term to put the glasses on their face and realize this is big. This is a man sent on a mission. And the reason it's so big, here's why it's big. It's huge. Because the church is guided by the Holy Spirit. The decisions of a local church carry tremendous weight and authority. And so if a local church picks someone to send them on an errand for the gospel's sake, that's huge. That's huge. So we'll call this one the commissioning of ministry. If a group of friends just got together and sent you out to do something, that would be one thing. If, if a corporation sent you out, or a government, if the President of the United States sent you out on a mission, that, that's one thing. But if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ sends you, that is far, far greater because the church is the body of Christ. When a church acts together as a church, it bears the authority of Christ Himself. We see that an example of that is in Matthew 18, in the church discipline issue. Remember when he, when he says, you, you put them out of the church, and if you follow the two or three witness thing and, and this procedure, then you put them out of the church, and if you're nervous about doing that, let me just tell you, where those two or three witnesses are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. That means you have my authority. The church has Christ's authority. And, and so he says, whatever you bind, the next verse says, whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven already. When we as a church make a decision, that decision's already been made in heaven. This, there, there's a very special relationship between church's decisions and what happens in heaven. Now, obviously, it's not an absolute principle. Churches can be in error. We know that. Church, churches can err. But when a church is following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, their corporate decisions carry a very special, profound authority. So when a local church sends someone out, when we all agree, yeah, we'll send them out, that is a far greater thing than that person just going on their own. So Paul is letting the Philippians know the gravity of what they've done by selecting Epaphroditus. He is a church-ordained missionary. Now, how does that help us to know that? What it does is it teaches the gravity and significance of, the, of ministry in the church. 
See, whatever ministry you're doing, even if it's something you step forward, you volunteered, hey, I'll, I'll do it. Still, if the church affirms that calling and that ministry, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Unless there's something in, unbiblical involved in the process, then you should take that as an appointment from Christ Himself. We need these glasses on. So what are these glasses showing us about ministry? They show us the camaraderie of ministry, the cooperation of ministry, the courage of ministry, commissioning of ministry. Now one final description, and I'm going to call this one the consecration of ministry. Consecration is another word for to make holy. So this one is really the holiness of ministry. The holiness of ministry. But I needed a C, and so I picked consecration. So look at the end of verse 25. The Philippian church sent him out on a mission. A mission to do what? What is his mission? What's he supposed to do? Well, the NIV says it this way. Who's also your messenger or missionary, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Okay, that's his mission, to take care of Paul's needs. Okay? Uh, Now that phrase, whom you sent to take care of, is actually all one word in the Greek. It's liturgos. We get our word liturgy from it. And if that rings a bell, it's just like, wait, wait, I've heard that. Liturgy, liturgos. Back in verse 17. Look back to verse 17 when Paul talked about the sacrifice and service coming from their faith when they were sent this financial gift. That word service, remember? That's liturgia. Same root. It's, it, it, it's, the, it's the word used all the way through the Old Testament for priestly service in the temple. And so Paul called their gift. He said, that's a priestly service. That liturgia, that financial gift that you sent, that's a priestly service. And then he calls Epaphroditus, a couple of verses later, he calls him a liturgos, which is the priest or the minister doing that service, ministering that way in the temple. And so the, the only word I can think is, is let's, let's use the word minister to translate this word. If someone asked Epaphroditus, hey, what do you do? Uh, oh, I'm a minister of the gospel. Oh, you're a preacher? No, no, not a preacher. Teacher? No, no. Church leader? No, not really. What makes you a minister? You're not a preacher or a teacher or a church leader or in authority. What makes you a minister? Oh, church, uh, the church selected me to carry a bag. See, if you do ministry, you're a minister, a liturgos. Paul gives us some, these glasses so we can see that doing a, a task like this is on par with an Old Testament priest going into the temple and carrying out the ceremonies in to, inside the temple of the living God. If you're doing something that contributes to the progress of the gospel and you've been authorized by the church, the local church, that is a holy, consecrated act of service. And it doesn't matter if it's preaching or polishing a doorknob. Do you want your life to have meaning, significance, purpose, power? Ministry is where you're going to find it. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.